you want to make sure that you are stringent. The owner has to be stringent in the criteria to get renters. You want to set clear rules and you want to make sure that you have those rules in writing. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Hey everybody, it is Sarah Larby here and I am excited to share with you another episode of Where Should I Invest? Today's guest is Alejandro Fleury and Alejandro in the past three years has grown from zero to 40 doors using other people's money. So he's got a really, really interesting story and if you guys are interested in knowing how to do that, not using your own money, well, listen to the podcast. It is uh, extremely beneficial, insightful, and Alejandro provides some great, great strategies. One of the things that I had an email from John, and John was asking, what are some of the fundamentals to look for when investing in a specific market and in a specific area? And I think it actually is very pertinent to this podcast. We do go into it a little bit, but it is really important that when you guys are looking for where to invest, that you're not just going and buying the cheapest house in the cheapest city, because if that city is going downhill and there's not a lot of demand for rents or whatever it is, it actually probably isn't a good investment. I mean, sometimes you hear about dollars $40,000 houses in the US. Well, oftentimes those are not in areas that you want to invest in and there are more headaches and more problems that you will want to deal with. So I wanted to go through some of the fundamentals that I look for when investing in a city and i picked brantford ontario but i'm actually also right now looking in peterborough and a couple other options peterborough just because i've got the cottage property nearby now it kind of makes sense but there are some fundamentals that are really important if you're not too sure of where to start looking so john thank you so much for your questions i, I really really appreciate you reaching out to me so Let's talk about some of the fundamentals. So when you're looking at investing, there's a few things that you want to look for. So first of all, you want to make sure that the area is increasing in population, that people are moving towards that area, that there are more than just one employer. So if like that city has like only one major employer, like imagine if that employer goes bust or moves overseas, well, you've got a lot of people with no jobs. So you want to make sure that whatever city or town that you're looking for, that there's different types of businesses and industry and that there's many different types of employers. You want to look at obviously the population increase. So if people are moving into the area, you also want to look for any transportation improvements. So for example, is there a highway expansion or is there a GO train or LRT expansion and where is it going? Because oftentimes that brings increased values, that brings more people into the area increase jobs there's just a lot of opportunity so transportation is a big one 
Another thing that I like to look at personally is also, is there a post-secondary education nearby a college or a university? I like that it just gives you more options if you want to do student rentals and it oftentimes creates even a need, a higher need for the larger single families. If you want to have a tenant profile that's single families, there's a lot of investors that might do students so you can actually differentiate and help and provide something that's probably in a very, very high demand. So the schools are important. And I also look at things like vacancy rates. So if you're planning on buying and holding, being a landlord, what are the vacancy rates like? And oftentimes you can get that from Money Sense Magazine, um, puts out a report every single year with like the top 35 best towns in Canada to invest in. And usually they'll actually have those numbers in there. Otherwise you can research, you could probably Google, find the information, or ask a investor in those areas or maybe a realtor in that area. And that is going to be something, especially in Southern Ontario, you'll see it's actually quite low. The other thing I look for is just like supply and demand and that kind of goes with the vacancy rate. But I look on Kijiji just to see, you know, what people are looking for, the wanted ads, the offering ads, and just to see what, you know, the prices are like as well. Um, and then the other thing I look for is the average household income. So I look at, you know, house values and I look at rent amounts and I look at the average household income personally, you know, and this is probably for a different episode, but I prefer to rent to tenants that are at least bringing in three times what I'm asking for in rent. But looking at the average household income for a city is important. So definitely something to consider there. And then in terms of prices of rent or even the prices of houses going for sale, is it increasing? Is it flat or is it decreasing? And I look at five year and I also look at 10 year trends because what's been happening in the last three years is probably not a good indicator. So I look at like what happened to the house prices, the house values in the past 10 years. And so that's something I also look at very, very closely. And the other piece is I look at our employers moving into that city or that town. So not only do we have variety and do we have more than one, but we want to see if people or employers or companies are moving into that area. That's also important as well. Also, are there any types of new developments? Are they, is the city getting ready to develop specific areas or the downtown core? So those are all things to consider. Also, how close is the area that you're looking at to other major cities and towns. So for example, I liked Brantford. It was about 15 to 20 minutes from Hamilton and there's tons going on in Hamilton in terms of what we discussed for the fundamentals. Brantford had a lot of those as well, but of course Hamilton was a little bit further ahead. And you know, part of it is the proximity. It's the trickle down effect into those neighboring cities once the towns like Hamilton become less affordable. So those are the things that I look for when deciding what city to look at, what city to recommend. And that's what I would recommend that you guys look at. And of course, there could be other criteria, other things that you want to consider in an area before you buy into it. But I think it's just really, really important that when picking your location, that you are strategic about it. And it's not just buying a cheap house because it's cheap. Because if the fundamentals around it don't make sense, you never know what's gonna happen in five, 10 years from now, but you may actually lose out more 
than anything. So hopefully that helps. John, I really appreciate your emails. Guys, if you have questions, let me know and send them to sarah at sarahlarby.com or the contacts me page, which is just my website, sarahlarby.com. Or you can even send them to me on Instagram at sarahlarby84. And so now on to the show. Hi, Alejandro. How are you? Hi, Sarah. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for being on. Thank you for the invitation. I'm very excited as well. Great. So I wanted to have you on the podcast because you have an amazing story that I wanted to share with the listeners about how you purchased 40 properties in under three years without using any of your own money. Wow, that's impressive. Yes, yes. I mean, it's just a matter of uh, applying some things that I learned. I will give you more context on how it happened and what the real, like the actual timeline is. There's about like, you know, 39 of them where it happened within the three years and then one that, that happened shortly before. But I guess it still does the trick. Very cool. So just out of curiosity, why did you decide to start investing in real estate in the first place? Okay, so here we go. I actually got interested in real estate. I am actually originally from South America, from Venezuela. I went to study in the U.S. for a little while. And back in 1995, I was just, you know, like channel surfing. And then I came across this, one of those uh, infomercials, those guys that supposedly have made, you know, millions uh, investing in real estate. And uh, and that just, you know, I got bitten. So that was like the beginning, right? So fast forward 2008, I'm in the U.S. again, living for a little while. And uh, I took a, a course with Rich Dad. And I decided to, at that point, start applying what I had learned. This one was on foreclosures. So I acted on it right away. Within three months, I found my first property and I was able to buy it for about 38 cents on the dollar. Wow. So and the rest is history. Yeah. Very cool. Was this property in the US? Like whereabouts? Yes. In Florida, in South Florida, I was in the city of uh, Aventura, which is uh, a little south of uh, Fort Lauderdale. So are you currently living in Canada or in the US? In Canada. I live in Canada. Um, I have lived in Canada since 2009, basically. And um, yeah, that was my original plan. That's part of the story as well. I mean, I was in the middle of like a transition there. I stayed in the U.S. for about almost two years for the most of uh, 2008 and 2009. Then I came to Canada. So yes, I am an immigrant. And so if immigrants can do it, anyone can certainly do it, right? And then, uh, yeah, the plan was uh, all along to come here and to settle in Canada. And uh, I thought I would try at least to uh, apply my, you know, my learnings from those days uh, here in Canada. But, you know, kind of went dormant for a little while. Then I started again, you know, circumstances and well, here I am. Very cool. So in the U.S., how many properties did you buy? Was it just the one or did you have a few that you bought? No, I actually bought only one. I partnered up with my dad in that regard. And we had a, well, to say properly, I had a pretty well-rounded plan uh, to keep leveraging on that property that we actually bought cash to buy four or five more. At that time, I wasn't thinking about uh, like multifamily rental income properties. That was only a condo, but it was such a good opportunity that we decided to act on it. Like things changed and my partner decided that he liked the property too much, you know, to rent it out and keep leveraging on it. And he decided to keep it to himself or well, for the family in, in any case. And that was the end of it. Right. But the plan was to keep buying properties because that was at the bottom of that real estate crash. So the timing was perfect to buy as many properties as you wanted, basically. 
Okay, so tell me about the first property that you purchased in Canada. How did you do it? Well, this is a funny story. I mean, when I came to Canada, I thought, well, foreclosures are not, not a way to buy properties here. I mean, there's a, the power of sale, which is similar, but there's more encumbrances. There's like more, like it's a different, it's a slightly different approach. And it doesn't happen that quickly. So my thinking was, well, I'm going to go back to the drawing board and I am going to see what would apply here and what the best way to kind of to keep that goal that I have to buy properties would be in Canada. So what would be the right way? So I went back to the same institute so to reach that and started browsing and I went to one of the information sessions and there I learned about uh, wholesale and I thought it was almost too good to be true, right? And from that, I got up an upsell to lease options and lease options. Basically, as much as I'm not using lease options as a strategy to acquire any properties, but it did give me a pretty wide understanding of uh, all the possible investing options that there are in real estate. Yeah. So this is how like, you know, fate or destiny, I would like to say within the first session, which is day long session for wholesales, there is this guy across the table that is looking to, you know, keep learning. Right. So and take the next course. And well, he didn't have the, all the money that we needed to, that he needed to keep moving forward. Neither did I. And the guy reaches out to me and he goes, well, listen, would you like to partner up to take the course? And then we'll, you know, we'll split the cost in half and then we'll attend together or whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, coming from my background, that is, uh, that's not something that happens like uh, regularly. Uh, people are a little more cautious in South America when they approach uh, someone. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, sure. I'll do it. You know, so I just, without thinking much, and we went and purchased the seminar, the course, whatever. And yeah, we took the course. So, well, we stayed in contact. So shortly after we started, you know, calling each other, looking for deals, like we were very excited and pumped to take things to the next level. And suddenly, well, you know, we actually start coming up with deals. We started looking everywhere, right? So we were looking mostly in Northern Ontario. Well, there comes this big portfolio that is for sale and we crunched the numbers. We used our uh, spreadsheets just to make sure there was cash flowing. And sure enough, the numbers made sense and we decided to take the step. It turns out that this particular portfolio that was for sale was uh, 34 doors, 34 doors and it was three buildings. And it's in this industry, you kind of like, you have to, well, you know this very well, you know, you're very knowledgeable and you have a, a pretty interesting portfolio as well. You have to make decisions on the run. So it's either, you know, you act on it or you let it go and then someone else will capitalize. So we said, okay, cross the numbers, made sense. There were, were obvious challenges that were part of the due diligence that we later on realized, but we decided to buy the full portfolio. Okay, so I have a lot of questions about that. First of all, that is awesome. And people are probably wondering, how did you even find this, right? Because nowadays, in my opinion, money is actually easier to find than deals. So A, where in Ontario was it? You said Northern Ontario. Um, And B, how did you come across it exactly? Well, our thinking or our strategy was just to initially to rule out the places where everyone else was looking. Right. So we decided to venture out into Northern Ontario as far as, you know, as we had to. And like these are close to uh, Thunder Bay. That's how far north they are. Okay. Right. And the whole strategy was basically to scan, you know, the territory for, uh, and and we use, you know, anything and everything from, you know, asking uh, realtors, going to MLS, going to uh, Kijiji, just trying to find motivated sellers everywhere. And then this, as much as, 
Some people say don't even try uh, MLS because by the time, you know, a listing hits MLS, you know, it's probably too late and it's already inflated and you have a realtor to deal with and all that good stuff. Yes, it is preferable to go directly to the motivated seller and buy from the seller and you have uh, sometimes like more negotiation room. However, one important consideration is that what is a good deal to you or to me is not the same, right? So not everyone as much as people may be looking in the same area, but people may not necessarily be looking for the same type of deal. And that's something that we have learned over and over. Another thing that is very important as much as MLS is where, you know, everyone goes to find properties. If you don't dig deeper, you don't know what you're missing on. One thing that we learned is we found another portfolio, like full portfolio. It was 12 actual properties with a total of, I think it was uh, something like 17 or or 21 doors uh, just from this one listing that was not very informative. So we talked to the guy and the guy said, oh, no, no, listen, this is only to catch people's attention. The full, like the full portfolio is 12 properties. And that one was actually near the GTA. Wow. So yeah, so it's a matter of like, even if you're looking where everyone else is, if you have like a, you dig deeper, there's a pretty good chance you are going to find something someone else has overlooked just because they thought, you know, it wasn't worth it. So that's my experience, at least. Yeah, absolutely. So when you saw these properties and they were on MLS, like, can you walk us through what your criterias were and, you know, what you did in terms of due diligence to make it make sense for you? Well, yes, absolutely. So part of the due diligence that we do is we need to make sure for us, there's a premium to pay for going like far out or away from the GTA. So we need to make sure that there are steady economic drivers to the area that we're buying in, right? So that's part of the due diligence. I mean, when you buy properties outside or in Northern Ontario, anywhere, you want to make sure that you're not buying in a place that will turn into a ghost town in a matter of you know, a couple of months or a couple of years. So in this particular case, we uh, realized this town is located right at the Trans-Canada Highway. So there's lots of traffic there for people that need to stay sometimes short term, sometimes long term. And there is pulp, like pulp processing for paper, and there are railway servicing. Mm -hmm. So there were like, there's always, ideally, you want to make sure that there's more than one economic driver to smaller towns. And that we kept doing over and over just to make sure that we were buying in the right places. Some other key criteria, well, you're not going to venture into like Ontario if the numbers don't make sense. So we don't buy anything that has more than 10% cap rate. Okay, so return on investment before debt servicing has to be more than 10%. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Absolutely. So then when you looked at these buildings, did you think, hey, I have an opportunity to increase rents and do some renos? Or did you buy it as is and just maintain it and manage it the way that it was already run? No, actually, I would have loved for that to be the case. But the truth is, like those uh, buildings pose many challenges and it's been a learning curve at this moment. So we have one of the buildings that is fully, fully rented out and we have two more that are where we're working on. The challenges there are, well, just to answer your question. So it's the first uh, you know, statement or approach. I mean, we had to, we bought them because the person that had them was basically fed up. So we knew they were a challenge. They had uh, something like a 45 or 50% vacancy rate. The guy was fed up and didn't want to make, um, just put any more money into them. And to us, it was an opportunity. We bought all those buildings for basically less than what you would buy, you know, like a studio in Toronto like a one bedroom uh, condo. So we bought them all for a very, very 
very, very low price. But knowing that we have to commit lots of time and effort and, you know, a little more money to get them to where they are today. So who's holding the mortgage and how is that working? Because you mentioned that you're not using your own money for this. How are you setting that up? Okay, so what we did is we actually... Honestly, the initial investment was only $5,000 out of my pocket just to, well, to secure the deal. And uh, basically, once we had the numbers, what we did is we went back to uh, our investors. So we didn't have investors then. We actually started reaching out to people we knew, people close to us to come up with the 20% that we were asked to, you know, to have the mortgage. And luckily, my partner on his end was able to get about $50,000. I was able to get about $50,000 on my end. Well, the sweetener was we said, okay, so we are going to pay you uh, 9% on the money that you decide to invest with us for as long as we have the mortgage or as, as long as we have all the, the properties. And that's what we did. Uh, the rest of the deal, we were able to come up with a vendor take back. So okay. basically seller financed for the remaining uh, 80% of the value at a really good uh, for really good conditions like low interest interest only and uh, yeah so we were able to get really really good conditions to finance it Where should I invest with your host Sarah Larvey we'll be right back Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property, they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A, understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time. And Dahlia is actually an investor herself. And she works with many, many investors. And she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders. And Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives, but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis, it was a game changer for me. And it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was going to get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com, or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com, and then just go to the contact section. And you can also call her at 1-800-208-6255. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Back to the show. Where should I invest? Real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey.
So that's actually amazing. And it's also great to see that you've been able to talk to him to do the VTB because it's not very, you know, often that somebody is necessarily willing yeah. to do that. How did you manage mm-hmm. to talk him into holding the mortgage or the 80%? Well, part of the motivation is like the, once again, going back to what is an opportunity for some people, it may not be an opportunity for others. So the guy was really motivated. I mean, he was working with a local realtor, but he was very motivated to sell. So it's very important when you start, even from the beginning, when you start investing in real estate to have, you know, like good posture and to stand your ground, right? So what's the worst that can happen? I mean, you go to a seller, you propose a deal. And if, you know, if it, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. The last thing you want to do is you want to look desperate to get anything from anyone because that's going to cost you a lot of money and the learning curve is going to be like much, much steeper and longer, right? So you want to make sure that even if you have to fake it, you're sweating on the inside, right? So you Mm -hmm. want to make sure that you have good posture. And that's what we did. Well, you know, how many offers have you had? It's been listed for so long. So if you're willing to hold the mortgage, we can make this happen. If not, you're going to risk losing the deal and all that stuff. And the guy said, well, listen, I want to make a deal and he definitely wanted to get rid of the properties. And if you think about it, it's it's almost like when you hold a mortgage, even in those conditions, it's you're making money risk-free out of a property that may have not been cash flowing for so long for you. So like the win for you, it's actually tangible as opposed to saying, no, just get the money. I'm going you to buy them outright from me and then I don't want to have anything to do with it. But most people, especially sellers, don't understand that they usually have to be coached by either the right realtor or they must have been at a certain point like real estate investors to understand these benefits. So uh, it's a win-win, right? So they win and we as buyers uh, win as well. Absolutely. So what year did you buy the properties in? That was uh, three years ago. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. three years, 20, 2015, yes. Okay, so now you've got, so that was 34, you said? 34 of them? Yeah, yeah, and 34. So we had the one in Florida, we still have. Okay. Yeah, so the one in Florida was a little long ago, and then 34 um, in 2015. And then in 2016, we once again ventured in, into uh, Ontario, northern Ontario, this time a little closer. We came across a neat little town that I hadn't even heard of. What is it? Well, the whole area is called uh, Temiskaming Shores. Okay. Temiskaming Shores is basically a conglomerate. It's, it's three cities or towns. It's made up of uh, New Liskert, Haleybury, and uh, Cobalt. So the three towns make up the Temiskaming Shores uh, area or municipality. And uh, once again, this person that you know, like she originally bought a building, small building. Now we're talking about uh, it's a fourplex. We actually sold that one too. It's four residential and one commercial. Okay, so like yeah, a, a four mix- residential, one commercial. Yeah, correct. So very beautiful town. The building is like a historic building, uh, right at the downtown core, across you know major bank. Um, right at the like two blocks away from Lakeshore, and once again, you know, there's always a little bit of uh, nervousness, and we say, well, what's going on there? And we thought it was um, like another one of those, uh, you know, little towns in the middle of nowhere. Um, I went to check it out, and I realized that the town is a very vibrant town. I mean, there's a uh, the whole area, you know, has been uh, gained some interest. It's right across the border from Quebec, and it's about five hours away from here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's lots of tourism. There's uh, camping, trekking, cross-country skiing. There's uh, fishing, boating, and then there's uh, agriculture as well. Uh, there's mining nearby as well. So 
we decided to really, you know, really look into it. And this is the same kind of story where the person bought. It's a great building, beautiful building, small, old brick, historical. And she bought it as an investment. Then she decided to go there and have her own business there. Then she got fed up of having her own business. She rented the commercial unit. She was not necessarily a good property manager. And at a certain point, she said, well, you know what? This is it. And she basically decided to sell the building. So once again, I want to say we've never purchased any property for any more than 85% of the asking price. And that also adds up to your cap rate. So if you have a property that doesn't meet the cash flowing criteria that you're looking for, don't be discouraged. I mean, it's just a matter of working out the numbers with the seller. There's another seller that I've been working for the last two and a half years. The guy hasn't sold the building yet. We were close to making a deal, but he went from $329,000 and he is trying to get it for $160,000 now. Wow. Right? So it's just a matter of, you know, faith and consistency (laughs) to get it. Absolutely. So Alejandro, I have a question because your properties are so far away. How are you managing them? That is a great question. If I had to give listeners a tip is do not ever buy properties where there's no professional property management. So I'm going to be very honest. I mean, the properties, the ones that are further north near Thunder Bay, it's been a challenge because we decided to get into them, even though we couldn't find actual property management. And as you may imagine, you know, managing properties that are 17, well, 15 and a half hours away can be challenging. So part of what we implemented was to find local people to service the properties and to automate the rent roll collection, right? So, and that's basically for those properties, that's the closest we have to property management, right? So uh, my business partner is someone that is, he's a second generation contractor. So for him, like he likes going and refurbishing and taking care of the property, but for the immediate things like the light bulbs or, you know, the broken toilets and stuff, you need to have a network of people. If you don't have the property management, you have to have a, a network of people that you know are going to respond when something comes up. So we've been there a couple of times. Well, he's been several times there. I've been there only once and uh, we started making connections with the town we started making connections with uh, the local uh, hardware store even the local uh, mill and the pulp processing plant so that we can source renters for one but we have locals that will take care of like minor repairs and things like that while we're away so that one is it takes a little bit of like creative uh, you know thinking and the ones in Temiskaming Shore, it turns out that in Northern Ontario, there's more places that have professional property management companies that you can imagine actually, and took a little bit of legwork, but we actually found a, a property manager that was a local uh, initially. Things didn't necessarily work out. We kept, you know, digging and we found, found a great property management company that turned things around within a month of being, you know, uh, hired or, or coming on board. So that's another criteria that you actually want to include and has to be top of your priorities if you are and you shouldn't want to be doing the property management yourself if you are not willing or able to do the property management so you really want to have someone that manages them the trick is when you're going out there is don't think looking local because there are for example in Sudbury there's a uh, property management companies that will go as far north as Thunder Bay, for example, or they will go to North Bay and anywhere in between. And they are actual property management companies. So that was a mistake that we made originally. Now we know that we can find professional property management even that far out. 
Yeah, some great points for sure and some great tips. So when you're managing the manager, what are some things that you would suggest a newbie buying in the northern parts of Ontario really consider? Because I mean, it's one thing to manage and you can self-manage, but you know, what should we be doing to properly manage the management team? Well, the one thing is you have to one, you have to have a clear set of rules and they need to understand that, you know, it is a business and it needs to be cash flowing because everyone has their own management style. One of the managers that we came across, so she basically was almost like a godmother to the community. So she wanted to get people in with very, you know, little criteria. So you want to make sure that you are stringent. The owner has to be stringent in the criteria to get renters. You want to set clear rules and you want to make sure that you have those rules in writing because you need to be able to enforce them. And actually for them, it's beneficial too, because when they have like a clear set of rules to act by, um, there's much less room for error. Right. Did I answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And just the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is when you're finding these properties, and I'm guessing that not all of them are on MLS, like how are you finding the motivated sellers if not on MLS? Well, it's fascinating because we started venturing out. Like we didn't expect this to happen, but I've had people call me directly saying, you're the owner of uh, such and such building. I own a property there. I would like to sell. And I actually heard that you're interested in buying in this area. And the funny thing is that in smaller towns, the word will spread. And then all of a sudden you have people actually calling you. And that's happened a couple of times. I mean, we actually bought the one in uh, Haleybury. We bought it not MLS, you know, someone, I think it was a property manager to that building who became the property manager to that building had been managing buildings where my business partner has other buildings. So it was basically word to mouth. So one strategy that works in smaller towns is even your property managers, your tenants say, listen, I invest in your area. I would like to find more, you know, more buildings uh, like these. And if you know of anyone that is selling, please let me know. And that actually works. I mean, we've had, as I said, quite a few calls from local motivated sellers. We don't necessarily take advantage of all of the deals or some of them are not necessarily deals that we are looking for, but it, it does work. I don't know if that will work for something like Toronto or Mississauga, but for smaller towns, it certainly does. Yeah, some great things that seem like it's a little bit different up there. One of the things I, you know, personally might be a little bit concerned about is, you know, if that paper mill shuts down or the other, you know, big company there, what plans of actions do you have in place in case that happens? Well, the reason that I explained initially is, you know, that reason for us finding more than one economic driver is Mm -hmm. to have almost like a buffer, right? So there's not a a big chance of uh, like a big pulp mill or a mine and the railways like shutting down at the same time, right? Right. So like in short, you do take a little more risk, but a way to mitigate the risk is to make sure that there's like that town doesn't strictly rely on one source of income. If they do, I wouldn't even touch it, honestly. You know, so there has to be like, you know, more than two major economic drivers. And and yes, there is a risk. There is a risk for sure. I mean, we kept driving in the area. So one of the times that we went out there and uh, initially we got a little excited about what looked like an opportunity. When we started digging deeper, we realized that indeed, like one of the pulp mills in the area, bigger, like just very, very big one. Like there was an LCBO, uh, there were banks and everything at that location. Turns out 
the pulp mill, which was the main driver there, left, closed their doors, and the town was, well, all those people were left there stranded in like, you know, just some buildings like boarded up just because they were relying strictly on one source of income. So that's the type of thing that became an eye opener. And we said, well, you know, it has to be more than one. So this is on the Trans Canada Highway. So there's lots of people like going through. So it's noticed. And then there's other sources of income. So yes. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because one of the things that, you know, as newbies or somebody that might be listening and saying, hmm, you know, I can buy something up north for, you know, a third of the price of maybe what it is in Hamilton as an example. But, you know, always factor in those economic drivers. And there's definitely a few more as well. But you don't want to be relying on like one big employer. And then all of a sudden you've got, you know, huge vacancies because everyone's moving out of the town or you've got people not paying. So just some things to consider, right? There's pros and cons to everywhere that you invest like for sure you're probably getting a higher cap rate as an example on the buildings yeah. that you have for taking on more risk yeah. absolutely so you're paying a premium to get the extra cap rate but if i could give uh, listeners a tip is do not rush into any deals it may look at first glance it's a great deal because you're buying say doors for fifteen thousand dollars each and whatnot but you have to really you know be patient and look through and really make sure that you crunch the numbers and you do not want to rush into any deals because you can be all stranded, you know, in the middle of nowhere and left with a big investment that is, you know, that's going down. So you want to take your time for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your great information, knowledge, tips. And the next part of the podcast is called the lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series of five questions and just give me the first answer that comes to mind. You ready? I hope so. Yes. All right. So question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay. What about number two? What is your favorite podcast if you listen to them? I don't really, but this one's going to be up in my list. Uh, Number three, (laughs) what is your favorite pastime? So what do you do for fun when you're not doing real estate? So I used to be a wealth manager, financial planner, and I became a personal trainer and health and nutrition coach. So that is my pastime and I make money off of it. So that's my answer. Very cool. And I think you've got a nice family and kids and another kid almost here, right? Yep. Congrats. Number four, if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again? I would start with my knowledge. That's something that I've seen in this industry many, many times. People have had you know, bad experiences and like bad things happen to them in life. And you freak out initially, but then you realize that you have the knowledge and you have the experience. So just hang on to it and just start, you know, where you started the first time and it'll come back. Excellent. And question number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started in real estate investing, how would you recommend that they spend it? Okay. Uh, I don't know. It depends on what the strategy is. That's one thing that I always tell people. You need to know what you want out of your $50,000. So is it buy a building? Is it joint venture partner? Or it's just to lend it out to someone that actually has more experience. So the first thing that I would say is think one of the three. Do you want to be a lender? Do you want to be a joint venture partner? Or do you want to be an investor and take all the risks yourself? That would be my advice. Okay, great. And so Alejandro, where can listeners find you if they wanted to reach out and know more about you? You can find me at Northern 3 Realty Community, and that is on Facebook. 
we're working on branding and that. But for the time being, you can learn more about what we have done at Northern 3 Realty Community on Facebook. So that's a pretty good start. And uh, just send us a message and then we'll connect privately and then we'll talk. I mean, we're always glad and willing to talk to people and to educate like new investors about making that first step and that decision. Okay, great. And three, is it the number or the spelling it out three? It's uh, spelled out, yes. Okay, perfect. And any last or final words of advice or anything else that you'd like to let the listeners know before we part ways? My call is to for people to educate themselves. So that is not necessarily going to cost you that much money or m no money at all. So educate yourself so you don't want to be at the mercy of just financial institutions that say how much you're supposed to make. So you make the decisions. The more you know, the more power you have. And real estate is not necessarily easy, but it's a good way. It's a good tool to have in your toolbox. So just take the step and learn. That's my advice. Great advice. Thank you very much, Alejandro, for being on Where Should I Invest? Really appreciate your time and you helping others learn about what you've been able to do. And if they uh, want to reach out to you, then you know, hopefully they can reach out to you on Facebook there. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And uh, it's been great. I hope I answered all your questions and I'm always willing to answer some more if you need me to. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.